Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning, we're uh, continuing in our uh, discussion and looking at the scriptures and learning about what it means to engage because uh, we're called to engage, to proclaim, to share the gospel with the people around us in our community, with people in our families, people in our workplaces. Uh, we often talk about how important it is to surrender, connect, and proclaim. And we're focusing on proclaim and looking at some encouragement, some challenges to be about the work of sharing the good news. We're going to be looking in the scriptures at Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, one of my uh, favorite encounters. And so uh, I would encourage you to find that uh, passage, put your finger in there, and we're going to read sections of it. In preparing for this test, though, I, I found a report from a group of Harvard scientists who conducted an extensive research study on community a few years back. In this study, they tracked the lives of 7,000 people for nine years. These researchers found that people who were isolated were three times more likely to die younger than those who had strong relationships. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, and alcohol, but had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. If you think about it, one commentator jokingly said, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that scenario. Uh, Robert Putman the Harvard researcher said that if you are not a member of a group but decide to become a member of a group, you have cut your risk of dying younger in half. An article in the Journal of the American Medical Association reported the results from 276 volunteers who were infected with a virus that produced the common cold saying that people who had strong emotional connection or community were four times more likely to fight off a virus than those who were isolated. These people were less susceptible to colds, had less viruses, produced significantly less mucus than isolated people. This really does mean that it is true when we say friendly people are really, uh, sorry, unfriendly people are really snottier than others. Uh, this currently, this does highlight though uh, some of the basic truths of who we are that built into our DNA, built into our lives as the creation of God is this importance, this emphasis, this need for connection and community and friendship. 
What does all this have to do about the scripture today? Well, in our text, we're going to encounter a story of a paralytic who had great friends. And these friends had great determination. And these friends had great faith on behalf of their friend and in Jesus. There's so many lessons in this text today, and we are going to jump into this section of Mark where, where there is a confrontation that begins that in Mark at this juncture, chapter 2 through chapter 4, there really is a highlight of the, of the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders, what can be done on the Sabbath, who can forgive sins, what, uh, what is the purpose and ministry of Jesus, and these kind of confrontations come to the front. But this is the first one, and it does center around this whole question of who can forgive sins. But there is this lesson about friendship and community and reaching out that I want us to see as well. There are three main points I want to highlight. So first, everyone is in need. Everyone is in need because of brokenness and sin. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 3. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. In this story, and you're probably familiar with it, uh, is the story of the paralytic. The paralytic becomes the focal point of the story in some ways because a lot of things happen to him that demonstrate the power of Jesus and that in his life we see the need for Jesus to meet him, to touch him, to minister to him. His whole life is consumed by a uh, disability. Someone has to move him every day. Someone has to clothe him. Someone has to clean him when he soils himself. He does not know the independence that we prize and take for granted so highly. There seems to be no help out of his situation. He is paralyzed. He has no money. He has no job. He has no influence. And therefore not much hope. But he does have one thing going for him. He has friends. He has amazing friends. We don't know much about the relationship between the paralytic and his friends. And how this relationship developed. How long it was. All we're told is that, they hate, that he has these four friends who hear that Jesus is in town and Jesus is teaching, and they're probably familiar or have heard of what Jesus has been able to do in people's lives and what happens and people coming from all over to come to Jesus and to be healed. And they immediately think, we have a friend who needs to be at the feet of Jesus. With those kinds of friends, the paralytic was able 
to get to the place where Jesus was teaching. Without those kind of friends, he may have never been where Jesus was. He may have never gotten healed. He may have never been forgiven. The friends play an important part in this story. Even in our day, people who have physical ailments are certainly challenged. And oftentimes when you talk to people with ailments, some of the most difficult obstacles they face are from what they call the normal people. The normal people who sometimes are anxious about how to respond to them, sometimes are unkind, sometimes look away and avoid eye contact. In the ancient world, it was even more harsh. The Greeks regularly disposed of newborn babes with physical abnormalities. In Rome, during the 5th century, there was a, a law on the books that said, kill a deformed child quickly. In Israel, this was not so much the practice, but there was a great deal of stigma attached to being a paralytic. There was a great deal of stigma attached to being disabled. And so, because the people believed that if you were in that condition, in some way, somehow, you and your family line, through your sin and your rebellion, contributed to the condition in which you live. But in our story, there is this little band of men who refuse to let those obstacles stop them. And this is the key point for us. This friendship was no accident. In the face of gigantic obstacles, social stigma, inconvenience, financial pressures, the demands of time and energy, these three men became friends and acted as friends. People are rarely tricked into relationships. A psychologist McGinnis notes that the number one rule for entering into a deep friendship which sounds a little too simple, is to assign top priority to the relationship. And if you don't find yourself in relationships and friendships, that just means that you haven't given top priority to the relationship. Ironically, we tend to vote massive amounts of time to many other things, making money, running errands, succeeding at jobs, But we neglect giving our most valuable commodity, time, to the very thing that God has designed us to enter into, relationships. Think of the first century church described in Acts chapter 2. You remember they lived together almost communally. They met together every day. They ate together. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They shared every need together. They shared heart and mind. They says in the scriptures they were of one heart and mind. How'd they get there? But by giving time and attention to the relationships that were formed because of Christ. Wise people do not try to microwave friendships or parenthood or marriage. You can't do relationships in a hurry. It takes time. 
There is a reason I say that the paralytic is like all of us. In our relationships, we know that we are broken. We have broken surfaces. We have broken hearts. The paralytic knew his need when his friends came to carry him everywhere. He knew that he was only going there because of his friends. He knew his vulnerability. He he was exposed. As they carried him, they took care of him. They helped to meet his needs. And he let them. He had to let them. He knew his lack of self-sufficiency. For if one of his friends for some reason dropped him, he had no recourse. And he had to submit to being needy. All of these are kind of like barriers to our relationships. Most of us who are so-called normal people, we want to hide out. We want to manage those kinds of situations. The paralytic was thrown into that situation. The paralytic knew his, his deficiencies, his inabilities. We try to hide them. And that is what keeps us from relationships. But we are all sinners. We all know that we are broken. And all you have to do is get into a relationship with someone. That's why marriages can be challenging. Because you get into a relationship with someone that draws you closer together than you probably are with anyone else in the world. And when you do that, you realize there are chinks and arguments and difficulties. Because you're taking two sinners and putting them together. And now you're starting to show that we're broken. That we are sinners. And in actuality, we're all broken. Why are we here in the church? Why do we worship the Lord Jesus? Because he takes us as broken people. To work on us, to transform us, and to change us. The hope that healing will come. The brokenness is a part of the human condition. And the paralytic's condition is plain to see. But we spend all our days hiding our brokenness. But it is there. It hinders our relationships. It moves us away from the Lord. And it is why we need a Savior. That is why these friends are so redeeming. They took their friend to the Savior. What kind of friends are we? Do we realize the people we know and we meet and we work with, who are in our family, who are in our neighborhood, are the same kind of broken people we are, and they need to go and meet Jesus too? So, everyone is in need. Because of brokenness and sin. Second, everyone is in need of a loving friend filled with faith. Let's read verse 4 and 5. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, 
your sins are forgiven. Evidence of real friendship is demonstrated because we see love and we see faith. These friends hear that Jesus is in town and they have heard what Jesus could do and has done for people who are in the condition of their friend. And Jesus has been known to heal the demoniac, those those people that have been demon-possessed. Jesus has been known to heal the lepers. He has seen, heard of him cleansing the lepers. And therefore... Jesus could heal their friend. To make this happen was no easy task. But they, they're not thinking about themselves. They are thinking about their friends. So they pick up their friend. They rendezvous with their friend. I don't know if they tell their friend that they're going to Jesus. I don't know if they tell their friend that they have hopes to, to bring him to Jesus and that he would heal him. They don't know exactly. They just believe that the best hope for their friend is to get in front of Jesus. Oh, that we would have a heart like that. Friends do that kind of thing. Friends serve each other. We can only imagine what happens as they went and picked up the man. He wondered where they were going, what was happening. I don't know if they told him. But as they approach the house where Jesus was teaching, they find it packed inside and out. Standing room only. The Bible says they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. Jesus is so close and yet so far away. One of them gets the idea, probably the youngest, the most, the, the, the one that no one listens to, says, hey, let's go up on the roof. We can cut a hole and drop them down. Uh, probably the older guy in the group said, any other ideas? Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, and they didn't have any other ideas. First century homes were commonly built with a stairwell up the side and on the top was a flat roof and oftentimes it functioned as a patio or extra space during the good days. The roofs were not quite constructed like our roofs so they were mainly uh, beams with leaves and uh, uh, branches and mud. Because they would put those roofs on once a year, take them off once a year, and replace them regularly. So they went up on there. They're pretty sturdy, though. You can use them as a patio, walk around. So the mud was there, and so these men took their friend up to the top. These friends got some rope, and therefore they started to dig through the roof. Now, you can imagine, you're all in the house, Jesus is there, he's teaching, and if if we had the opportunity to listen to Jesus' teaching, I guarantee you, we would be riveted. You could hear a pin drop, we're going to hear every word that Jesus is speaking about. And that's the way it was when all the people were jam-packed into that house. But as Jesus is teaching, all of a sudden there's some kind of like destruction happening. You can imagine uh, there's like things falling. Like, what is going on? And uh, soon, you know, you see a hole in the roof. Probably mud and stuff is falling down. It's getting in people's hair and eyes. 
And everybody's wondering what's finally the distraction gets to the point where everybody stops and looks up and you see these hands digging into the roof and pulling, making the hole bigger. And then the man is lowered down. Not only did the friends display love by this act, they displayed faith. Because it's fascinating that it says in verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. And he wasn't talking about the man's faith. It's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus responds to the faith of others and not to the faith of the man or the person that gets healed. Jesus saw their faith. It doesn't necessarily mean that the man didn't have faith or didn't, you know, he might not have known what was going on. But these four friends demonstrated their faith that the most important thing for their friend was to get in front of Jesus. And they weren't going to let any barriers get in the way. They were even going to tear the roof off. You can imagine what the owner of the house is. I didn't necessarily plan on a skylight in my house. It was just happening. But Jesus responds. And Jesus responds to the faith of these men. The question hits us in the heart. Does our faith in Jesus cause us to lead others to him? Especially knowing that he's the one that gives life. It's a great story, great encounter. Having heard that everyone is in need because of brokenness and sin, and everyone is in need of loving friends filled with faith, we learn third, everyone is in need of a strong Savior that meets our needs completely. And this is the bulk of the passage. I'm going to read verse 5 again. 5 to the end of verse 12. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, take up or get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. When Jesus makes the statement to the man, Your sins are forgiven. I wonder what the paralytic thought. I wonder what the friends thought at that moment. The paralytic was probably thinking, Hey, wait a minute, I didn't really come here to talk about my sins. But the connection between sin and sickness 
is more profound in the biblical point of view than we probably are comfortable with today. That is not to say that we should say that every sickness is tied to a particular sin and that we're sick because we've sinned in a specific sense. It is true that sickness and disease is in our world and in our lives because we are sinners. God didn't make us that way in the Garden of Eden. So we are living in a broken world. We are broken people, and one of the results of that is brokenness in our physical bodies. And so putting that together in this situation, Jesus is doing that intentionally. Because there are bigger lessons to learn. The whole issue of brokenness and sinfulness and sickness is a combined idea in the Old Testament many times. One rabbi commenting on Psalm 103.3, which is praise the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. Praise the Lord who gives, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. This rabbi said, a sick man does not recover from his sickness until his sins are forgiven. In the Old Testament, there was the strong connection. In the New Testament, there's a similar connection. There is a passage in James chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, which I'll read for you. Is, it says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. We use this passage when the elders are called or asked to pray over anyone in our church that's sick. We anoint with oil. But in our Western mind, we kind of think, well, sickness is one thing, sin is another. But the Bible's willing and does often put them together. And so here, when we're praying for healing, there is a recognition of the root of that need, and that is forgiveness of sin. So, there is a connection. Healing comes as a result of forgiveness of sins, and inevitably, Jesus shows the validity of this connection, especially when there is the hope of his final kingdom, when all death and all sickness will be wiped away. That's because there is no sin and no rebellion in his kingdom. They are connected, not one-to-one correspondence. Healing comes as a result of forgiveness of sins. Real healing comes. Whether we're actually healed here is not necessarily the case. But we will be healed. Healing comes as a result of forgiveness of sins. So Jesus shows the validity of this connection. But Mark is not interested in explaining why bad things happen to good people or why bad things happen to bad people. Jesus follows up the promise of forgiveness of sin here with the challenge, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? To make the point... 
that Jesus is the one who forgives us of our sins and has the power of life. And He gives it to all who come to Him. The miracle here teaches us three things. Don't you love the challenge to the religious people? Because it's certainly a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven than to take up your mat and walk. How do we know that the sins are forgiven? In this case, we know because Jesus told them to pick up your mat and walk. Three things that we must emphasize. First, it is God alone. If God alone forgives sins and God alone heals diseases. As the Jews believed, then Jesus is the manifestation of Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, which says, I am the Lord who heals you. We cannot miss what is being proclaimed by Jesus in this moment. This claim of forgiving sins connects Jesus as the Son of God. The Messiah, the one who represents God, who is the embodiment of God. That all sin and all offense inevitably is turned towards God and God, the Son, forgives. Second, Jesus has been sent to bring forgiveness for a sinful world. And there is a mysterious evil. That is connected between illness and sin. There is a linkage there. But that power is broken by Jesus. And the coming of the kingdom of Christ spells the end of both of those forces. Jesus is bringing an end to the things that the Old Testament said prevented someone from coming into the presence of God. Whether it's an unclean spirit that has taken control of one's life or an unclean disease or a paralysis or a sin. Christ has the power over them all and opens the way for us to receive life in the reign of God. He meets our needs completely. Third, we should emphasize the point that we might uh, point that we might recognize that the base of healing is the power of God. In our day, we celebrate the wonders of medicine and and the miracle of healing that our doctors and, and medical facilities can perform. But we should remember that physical well-being is not the essence of the Christian life. It certainly can be the outflow, and it will be the final result in heaven when there will be no sickness and death. But the bigger question of our need is spiritual life and forgiveness of sins, and only Jesus completely heals us of that. All of our medical ability only prolongs or extends the inevitability. And only Jesus conquers sin and brokenness and death. So in this encounter, there's a dramatic demonstration of who Jesus is. This is uh, 
highlight in verse 10. Verse 10 is kind of an interesting passage. If you have red letter edition Bibles, you'll see that it's put in the red letters. But in some Bibles, um, there really are no quotation marks around it because this really is more of a comment by Mark, the gospel writer, to us who are readers of his gospel. And verse 10 kind of breaks up the flow, but Mark wants us to make sure that we understand the power of the story because you can take verse 10 right out and read from verse 9 to verse 12. and uh, uh, Yeah, verse 9 to verse 12, and sometimes people... Uh, Verse 9 to verse 11, excuse me. Sometimes people say that that's the case, but verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on, on earth to forgive sins. Who's saying that? I actually think Mark is saying that. The point of this story is that Jesus is the one who is the Savior. He is the one who has the power to transform us. He is the one to heal our brokenness. And this paralytic is a picture, a demonstration of the brokenness of our lives. And these friends know that there is one who can deliver. And they want to bring their friends to that one, to that Jesus. The case of the paralytic carried by the four friends, is a microcosm of the church and the world today. The world is filled with paralytics who need to be brought to Jesus. Some of us in the church are filling the building, attending the services, listening to teachers and preachers. We are like the crowd at the home, surrounding Jesus and listening to Him. But in our presence, we're not all that engaged We're just in the way. And it makes it harder for others who really need to come to Jesus to get there. If the people that were standing around had their eyes on the needs of people around them when they saw the paralytic, wouldn't it have been like a a wide opening of a river and a walkway would have been provided for the paralytic to be brought right up to Jesus? We have to be careful. There are some of us in the church who have forgot the mission of Jesus. Others of us in the church are like the four friends, engaged in bringing paralytics to Jesus in spite of the crowd and all the other obstacles. We're looking and wanting to, to, to step out and find ways to bring people to Jesus. And yet, We notice also the religious teachers. They didn't bring anyone with them when they went to Jesus. They came to debate what comes first, salvation or healing. The question for us is what kind of followers are we? Are we the kind that are making friends and have on our hearts the the need for the people all around us who are broken and without Christ. Their need is to be brought to Jesus. Or are we just filling the place? Are we interested in theological questions? You know me, I love theological questions. 
but it can't divert us from the mission. It seemed like the religious leaders were there to debate theology. And they didn't bring anybody to Jesus. We have to look at ourselves. What kind of people are we? Because we want to enter into what verse 12 says. The man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And they were amazed. And everyone praised God. Why do we praise God? Because He touches our broken lives and heals us and puts us on the right road. Fills us with hope. That's why we come together. That's why I hope when we're singing the songs we sing and we enter into the worship together and we encourage one another, it's all about who Jesus is and what He's done for us and what He does do for people. And we want to celebrate that. We're amazed at that. And we want people broken people, because we're broken people, to come to Jesus because He gives us life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your love and Your grace. We thank You for this Scripture, this Word today, this encounter that You had with the paralytic and the the four friends, and how it instructs us and encourages us and touches us with your mighty power to forgive and to heal. Lord, there is no other source of healing and restoration and new life but through you and your grace. Lord, I pray that we're involved in seeing friends and family members and people we know who are broken all around us just as we're broken and and we know who gives life and that's you we pray that we would have a heart to see people who need you come to you that we would bring people to you we'd be friends to those people and we wouldn't let any obstacle stop us from bringing them to you thank you for your great grace and the offer of life that you freely give. May many come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.